Ah, it's a lovely thing. I'd like to welcome all the guys down at the Celebration Cafe. I was just down there praying with them a few minutes ago, and uh, we are excited they can join us via video. We really appreciate you guys meeting down there. There's a couple of hundred of them down there that are worshiping while we're up here. And what that allows to happen is more seats to open up here. So let me encourage you, if you're bold and daring, to go down there, check it out. Uh, Not that we want to get rid of you, we want you to stick around, but uh, the more room that you can open up, the easier it is for new people to come and feel comfortable setting in here. New people, you know, don't really want to sit too close to somebody else. They don't know you. And uh, so what a great problem to have, though, huh? That uh, the church is growing so much, we need to find places to stick people. So, uh, but uh, check it out down there. It, it really is great, very relaxed, very cool. The band is very kicking down there. They're awesome, awesome, you guys. They're very, very tight. And uh, they sing the same songs and the whole thing. And uh, did you enjoy Julie this morning up here leading worship for a while? Was that? She rocks. And uh, we're so excited and encouraging her, and uh, pretty soon we're going to be pointing her down there, and she'll be leading the worship down there. So if you want to hear more from her, a good place to go check out. But uh, anyway, one big happy church, just in different locations, down there, here, and over in Stevens Point as well. And everyone who joins us by television is also uh, welcome to be part of our our Met lessons and stuff and worship that we do here at Celebration Church. Now, today I'm going to be continuing the uh, second part of a message entitled Unlocking the Spiritual Potential in a Man. The scripture we're going to be reading from this morning is in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 23, that says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, last week I spoke of how the scriptures, particularly this scripture is one of them, and even how other contemporary studies that are going on today are pointing to the fact that a man has a unique spiritual potential in his life. Now, some might feel that such a statement is insulting or even some scriptures like that are insulting and demeaning to women, but they are not. I spoke last week of how Christianity is unique among world religions and that Christianity lifts women up, does not push them down. Having said that, however, uh, we can't fear the politically correct police uh, by refusing to acknowledge what the scriptures teach and what studies are even showing us that men, in fact, do have a unique spiritual role in the church as leaders in the church doesn't mean that women cannot lead we certainly encourage women to lead one of the first things I did when I got here I believe my first official act was to call the elders and let them know that their wives are now on the board with them it was no longer going to be an all boys club that the girls also had input and stuff so we certainly are not uh, thinking in those terms but even having said that and having done that there is still something unique the scriptures talk about about what is inside of a man Now, Jesus was a man who inspired and challenged other men to go out and to change the world. And that is exactly what they did. Now, again, the scriptures are clear to point out the vitally important role that women have as well. But without a doubt, it was the men of the early church that led the charge. Sadly, the church today looks nothing like the church of 2,000 years ago. You know, while virtually every major religion in the world, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, are full of men. And in fact, many of them, uh, men 
are overwhelmingly more in attendance than women. When you come to Christianity today and walk in the majority of churches in America this morning, you will find as you look around that the majority of attendees are in fact women. It's even worse in countries like Europe where they're outnumbered something like 7 to 1. I mean, it's, it's just pathetic and sad. And you have to wonder, how did a movement established by a man, led by his 12 male disciples, and advanced by millions of male disciples, become an institution today that is mostly attended by women, that is mostly led by women, where all the ministries in the church, by and large, are directed, moved forward, and pushed by women. What in the world has happened? And I believe one of the reasons, and there's several reasons, and we'll touch on them from time to time as we talk on this subject, but I believe the key reason why men are being disconnected from their families today and, and from the church today is because we have failed to give men what they need the most. And last week I left you hanging. As I said, you had to come back and hear today what that was. So here it is. What they need most is respect. If we are going to unlock the spiritual potential of men in the church and in their homes, they are going to need respect. Respect is as essential producing as to producing healthy men as water and light are to producing healthy plants. You cannot fail to water the plants and then get all disgusted because they're all droopy and weak. Neither can we be surprised by disconnected, impassioned men because they have missed this essential element of respect. There was a study done a few years ago, a sampling of some seven, 8,000 men. It's a pretty big sample, actually. A lot of the surveys that you see in America are done with like 1,000 people. You know, they can tell from talking to 1,000 people what everybody in America thinks. Pretty predictable in our behaviors. But a pretty large sample, seven, 8,000 men. And to ask men this question, would you rather feel loved or would you rather feel respected? Think about that, ladies. Would you rather feel loved or respected? 75% of men say they would rather feel respected than loved. So great is their need for respect. I want to read to you from a, a book this morning that's going to be released uh, early next year. Uh, I got an advanced copy of it. It's uh, from a brilliant young new writer called uh, Mark Gunger. And uh, <laughs> happened to get a copy of it in advance here. Yeah. <laughs> she says you ought to get it signed. Uh, <laughs> I'll check into that. But... Uh, Here's what this book says. So, what is it that men want? In a word, men want respect. That means a man wants to be held in esteem and to be shown consideration and appreciation, even when he makes mistakes. He wants to be seen as a hero, especially in the eyes of his bride. He needs someone to believe in him when the odds are stacked against him. If a man does not feel respected... He is destined to act in a way reminiscent of the obnoxious, I can't get no respect, Rodney Dangerfield. In short, 
your man will become an insulting, bug-eyed, gross guy. (laughs) What women don't understand is that men don't believe they need to earn respect. They feel it is owed to them for no other reason than because they are a man. Now that may sound sexist, but it really isn't. When I say men feel respect is owed to them because they are men, I'm saying men need to be respected for who they are, not for what they do. If they don't feel respected, they cannot survive. It gets harder and harder for them to breathe emotionally. That is why it is so important for a woman to learn to give her husband unconditional respect. Now, before all the fuses pop in your brains as you're <laughs> contemplating that, let me, let me put it in a focus that women can understand. The majority of women in that same sampling surveys said that they would overwhelmingly desire to be loved than respect. Not that women don't respect, want respect. And there's always that small percentage that always changes. But overwhelmingly, they want love. And the kind of love they want is unconditional. Love. Love they don't have to earn. Love that is still coming to them, whether they look pretty or like the cat just drug them in from the outside rainstorm. (laughs) Unconditional love. You understand that. You grasp that. Yes, yes, I want to be loved, despite how I look at the time, despite how patient I'm feeling at the time, despite how frazzled I'm feeling at the time. I want and need that love unconditionally just like you need that and understand that men need unconditional respect if you want to meet your husband's needs you must respect his person his manhood whether he deserves it or not back to our brilliant writer (laughs) most women, women are willing to show respect but they want their men to be worthy of it If he is not, a woman feels showing respect is disingenuous. And she moves into the I better correct the situation mode. She believes she can only respect her man if she can get him to act respectable. But that is not how it works. Respect is too great a need for a man to have it come and go based on performance. If a woman will learn to risk respecting her man when he is not perfect, he will open his heart to her and will become pliable now to change. I hear women complain all the time, he's just so resistant to change. Respect him and you'll start to see a difference in that man. A man needs respect to feel safe enough to open up. When he feels he's being looked up to as the head in a relationship... He will automatically allow his wife to become the neck and point the head in the right direction. (laughs) Women generally have no idea how much sway they have over a man. The The Proverbs says this, A wise woman builds her house, but a disgraceful wife is like decay to his bones, rots away at him. A woman is either building or tearing down her husband. Most women are not aware of this, but the majority of men feel very unsure about themselves. 
Many spend their entire lives fighting the voices in their heads that are constantly shouting, you don't really know what you're doing. It's just a matter of time before everyone discovers you're a fake. You're a fraud. The overwhelming majority of men talk to them. They'll tell you they hear that voice at them, coming at them all the time. When a man comes home, it should be the one place in his life where those voices of criticism are silenced. Where he is assured he is wonderful and competent. A place of safety where he is built up instead of being torn down. The ultimate ego boost of a man's life is when his life willingly and enthusiastically makes love to him. As opposed to lying there counting ceiling tiles and asking, are you done yet? (laughs) Sadly, for millions of men, their home is a place where the voices of criticism are amplified, not silenced. Women frequently make the mistake of insulting their husbands in an attempt to motivate him to change. What's the matter with you? Can't you do anything around here? Can't you pick up your underwear? What kind of loser are you anyway? You make yourself smart. You're not as smart as you think you are. The very voice amplified that he fights in his own head. Insulting him, my dear, might make you feel better. But he will never change. Insulting a man will only end up robbing you of his heart and you will not enjoy the change you want in the relationship. Ladies, do not wound your man's need for respect. When you disrespect your man by being unappreciative, corrective, demeaning, ridiculing, ignoring, discounting, etc., you will hurt him. And just like hurt animals don't act right, neither do hurt men. If you want a man to act differently in your relationship, you're going to have to put insults aside and learn to be unconditionally respectful. You go, yikes. It's kind of hard to do. Yeah, so is unconditional love. (laughs) It goes both ways. They're both hard, but we can do it. Now, even God deals with men this way. God wired this men this way. He understands it. And he talks to men in this very way. If there was ever a person in the universe who had a right to disrespect men based on their performance, it would be God. He knows what a slime bag we can be. He knows what slackers we can be. He knows how disingenuous at times we can be. But God intentionally treats men with respect even though he's intimately aware of every flaw and defect in the man's character. Look at how God dealt with men throughout the Bible. Look at the life of Abram. God comes to him. He looks in the soul of the man and he sees something that he's capable of. But rather than waiting until he achieves it, he starts giving him the respect of what he's capable of long before he achieves it. In fact, I believe that's the only way men can achieve it. God looks at Abram, sees great potential in the man. A man who has the potential to be the patriarch of a new nation. 
A man who will become, as the Bible refers to him, not only the father of a new nation, but the father of faith. And he looks at Abram and says, from now on I'm changing your name. Your name's Abraham. Which means the father of a multitude. I'm a patriarch. I'm a big guy. I'm the George Washington of a nation that's yet to be born. Everywhere Abram went, he had to introduce himself now as Abraham. They all knew what the word meant. Abraham. Wow. So how many kids you got? None. (laughs) Don't you think it's a little ridiculous to call yourself Abraham? Like I'm just, God God said it. I I don't know what, what the deal is here. God calling him something that he wasn't long before he was. Giving men such great, strong respect. The father of faith. I mean, come on. Abraham was a little, Abram at the time was a little bit of a girly man. Wasn't exactly the boldest guy in the world. We read of one account where Abram comes into town. This king checks out Sarah. Apparently Sarah was quite the babe. (laughs) Quite the head turner. I mean, the kings of that day had the hottest, most gorgeous women of the land. That was just the way it was. Sarah comes walking in. The king goes, holy cow, look at that. Who is that? Comes to Abram says, who is that? And Abram goes, oh, oh, that's that's, that's my uh, sister. (laughs) Can you imagine what she must have said to him later? (laughs) But sister, what do you mean I'm your sister? I'll show you a sister, you know. Why would he act in such a cowardly way? He was afraid. He was afraid the king would kill him to get her. Even the king later, when he found out what the deal really was, rebuked Abram and said, what in the world are you doing? Get me in trouble. Here this guy who wasn't acting the way that he should. Who yet, to even sire one child, God was treating him with huge respect by calling him Abraham. Look at Gideon. Read the story of Gideon. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and calls him, Thou great, mighty warrior! Man of great valor! Gideon goes, who are you talking to, man? Because if you read the story, God is calling him that while he is hiding. He's hiding in like a threshing floor of wheat and stuff because he was a girly man. He says, what do you mean mighty? He says, man, I come from the weakest bunch of our nation and I come from the weakest clan and we have the weakest family and I'm the weakest one in the family of the weakest clan of the weakest. But God looked inside Gideon and saw something in him. He saw a mighty warrior while he was still acting afraid and like a child. Calls him, you're a mighty warrior. You're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon became what God saw in him. As God treated him with respect long before he ever achieved it. Gideon went on to win one of the most lopsided victories in military history. With 300 men. He kicked an entire army's butt. It was great, actually. You've got to read this, or we'll have to look at it together sometime. But how many did he have in the beginning? He had thousands or something. And God said, you got too many men. 
What? Because <laughs> they were already outnumbered dramatically. God says, you got too many guys. What do you mean I got too many guys? You got too many guys, you don't need them. You're a mighty man of valor. Okay, everybody nervous. Go ahead and go home. <laughs> Whole big chunk of them took off. They're cruising along. God says to them, you still got too many guys. What are you talking about? I'm telling you, you got too many guys. You don't need them. You're a mighty man of valor. <sighs> All right. So they go through another little test. And everybody fell the test left. And there were only 300 guys left. Then finally God says, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> man. Talk about being outnumbered. Yet... They prevailed. They won the day. Put the army to flight with 300 men. And Gideon suddenly became a mighty warrior. Didn't wait till he achieved it to give him that respect. Gave it to him way before he ever got there. Look at Simon in the New Testament. Talk about a wishy-washy guy. In, out, in that chair. Lord, I'll go to death to you and I'll die with you. And the minute everybody shows up, he runs. People said, aren't, aren't you part of this Jesus thing? No, I, I don't know who he is. I thought I saw you with No, I don't know him. Well, I'm sure you are. No, I don't know who he is. Leave me alone. Denies Jesus three times. Coward. Goes out crying. The Bible says, weeping bitterly. But the very first day Jesus met him said, Simon, I'm changing your name to Peter. It means a rock. You're a rock. <laughs> the dude was more jello than a rock. All shaky and squishy and stuff. But God gave him this incredible respect because he could look in the soul of the man, saw what he's capable of, and gave him the respect of it before he ever became it. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, this man turned jello into a rock. Stood up and proclaimed boldly the gospel of Christ. And thousands of men, the Bible says, turned to Christ. Thousands of men looked at this guy and said, No, that's a man! I want to be like that! He was a rock. Treated with that respect long before he ever got there. You know, I've talked about this whole concept of spiritual authority, how... God looks at spiritual authority based on who you are, not what you do. The scripture basically points out that men are the spiritual head of the home. I always hear women say, my husband is not the spiritual head of the home, I am. Based on what? Because I got to do everything. Well, see, they don't get it. Spiritual authority is not based on what you do, it's based on who you are. We struggle with that in this country. We think whoever does the most gets it. In fact, in this country, we celebrate that you can be a nothing and a nobody and become president of the United States. It doesn't matter who you are. It just matters what you do. Everything. And while it's wonderful and great, it's got some positive things. It doesn't work well when it comes to spiritual truth because spiritual truth is just the opposite. Spiritual authority is based on who you are, separate from what you do. Eastern culture gets it. See, in this Eastern culture, they got kings and stuff like that. A king is a king whether he's a pig or, or a champion. doesn't matter. He's the king. Totally separate from what he does. Has nothing to do with whether or not he's the king. And they treat him with that respect. You remember Joseph when he came to uh, 
to Egypt. And he started rising up in the ranks of Egypt. And Pharaoh was so impressed with, with this young man, he gave him and put him in charge of everything in Egypt. The Bible says there was that one thing that was not handled by Joseph. In Egypt. I don't know what the Pharaoh did, sat around eating bonbons all day long or whatever his deal was, but... Now, if you and I were to show up in Egypt that day, we would think, whoa, this is the Pharaoh. Joseph is the Pharaoh. Why? Well, he's doing everything. He's in charge. Everybody's got to come and answer to him. He makes all the decisions. This man is the Pharaoh. But everybody would have said, no, 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 you know. Wait, he's not the Pharaoh. Well, he's doing everything. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do. Matters who you are. He's not the Pharaoh. This guy over here is in Bonbon land. Isn't it interesting? It wasn't wise men from the West who came to worship little Jesus. The reality is Jesus was about two years old by the time the wise men showed up. There had never been wise guys, wise, wise guys, more like wise guys from the West. Hey, I'm a wise guy. Wise men from the West wouldn't have come to a little two-year-old and went and, and worshipped him. We'd all walked in and said, what's he done? He's still pooping his pants. Well, when he does something, let us know. We'll come back. That's the way we think in our culture. It was wise men from the East who came, who understand this concept, got down, and they brought huge amounts of wealth, laid it at their feet, and, and they worshipped this little boy who had done nothing. Why could they do that? Because they understood authority is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. We struggle with this concept. Women struggle with this concept. Well, I do everything around the house. It doesn't matter what you do. If you do everything, he doesn't do a puking, stinking thing. Now, you can change that, but... In some cases, it's better that the women do some of the things. Man, in my house, my wife handles all the finances. It's the main reason I'm not broke today. Well, aren't you the spiritual leader? You're a nitwit. Has nothing to do with it. Guy doesn't have to do everything in the house to prove something. He's a spiritual leader for no reason other than God says he is. Say, well, I don't like that. Well, you can explain it to God someday. The only thing I ask is you let me be in the room while you explain it. (laughs) I really want to hear this conversation. I, I promise I won't say a word. I just want to be there while you tell God he's an idiot. All right. Men will never become real men in the church until the church starts treating men with respect. You know the reason now we don't have that problem. If you look around, you see a lot of men in this church. I want to see even more. But churches across America, by and large, are overwhelmingly attended by women. One of the reasons why men don't come to church is because they've been to church, and it stinks. It is boring. It is irrelevant. It is agonizing. That is insulting to a man. Why? Because a man feels his time is worth something. You draw men into a place and you give them nothing and irrelevant rabber jabber and bore them to tears. That's insulting to a man. The church has insulted men for longer than anybody can keep count. No wonder only women by overwhelming margins come to church. The church is careful to give them that atmosphere of unconditional love what we fail to do is give men the atmosphere of unconditional respect church needs to be relevant 
Church needs to be full of energy. It needs to be to the point. Get to the point and shut up. Amen. Hua. It's really funny. I get a lot of women who say, Oh, I wish you'd preach longer. It's great. I just wish you'd preach longer. It's great. I don't have very many men do that. I don't like what you said. You got to the point. God bless. I'm out of here. It is vital, not only the church start respecting men, but it's vital that the women in the church, particularly the women, the, the wives of these men, start modeling respect in front of their children. Stop insulting your husband, criticizing your husband, emasculating your husband in front of your children. It's arguable that you should do it at all. But for the love of heaven, if you feel so compelled, do not do it in front of your children. You will only continue the cycle. And you divorced ladies. Talk about all the motivation in the world to speak evil of the guy who left you hanging. Don't do it. These are, you're talking about these kids' father. Don't be talking about how evil he is and what a bum he is and he didn't make his payments this month. You need to hush. Treat the man with respect. He doesn't deserve it. Exactly. And you men and you women, you need to look into your son's hearts. You need to look into your young boys, see what's inside of them, what they're capable of, and start treating them with the kind of respect that you can see they're capable of. Well, he doesn't deserve it yet. Exactly. If you will start treating your young boys with the respect that they're capable of, I am absolutely convinced, as God has done with these men, that that's exactly how your young boys will turn into the successful men God intends them to be. It's time for the church and women in the church to start treating men with the respect they need so these men can become the kind of men God creates them to be. To be the real men these women truly want as husbands. And to be the real fathers that these children long for them to be. I'm done. I'll shut up. (laughs) The the elders don't clap if I'm shutting up. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Men clapping. I want the the ushers to come forward and our elders to get ready to serve uh, communion. And our worship team to come back up as uh, we get ready to... uh, have our time of communion same with down in the cafe and uh, have our guys come forward and get everything ready set so that we can serve people this morning so I have a question for you this morning boys and girls how are things between you and God are you experiencing the potential that God has created you for or is there a wall of sin that separates you from God the Old Testament God says let's reason together in other words he says guys think it through guys think it through I love it Because he deals with men with reasoning. Men desire reasoning. And God is trying to reason with these men and saying, look, you cannot, I cannot bless you. I cannot empower you. I cannot supercharge your life to be everything that you want that I know you can be. Because of this wall of sin that's in between us. Your sins have separated you from me. And guys say, well, well, maybe I'll whittle it down a little bit. No, you can't. Well, maybe I'll put nice smelling stuff around it so it doesn't stink so much. It won't work. So what can I do? There's nothing you can do. 
There's nothing you can do to remove that wall of sin between you and God that keeps you from experiencing all God wants you to experience in your life. You say, well, what do I do? You come to Jesus. Only He can remove the wall. He can knock it down and make it so that it would be as it never existed. And you can connect with a God in a way that you never thought possible in your life. That's what Jesus did when He went to the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed so He could eliminate that wall of sin. If you will reach out and ask Him, remove that wall of separation in my life. Forgive me of my sins. He'll break that thing down and you can start having this fellowship with God. I'd like us all bow our heads in a word of prayer. I want everybody here to join with us in prayer as well as those down in the cafe. And If you will mean this prayer from the bottom of your heart, you can experience this wonderful grace. Jesus Christ, the ultimate man, gave his life freely so we could have forgiveness of our sins. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. You need to come to Jesus. Only he has the power to forgive you of your sins, to breathe his life into you, to jumpstart your life. He called it being born again. If you'll pray this prayer with earnestness, I believe God will hear you, will forgive you of your sins and give you a new beginning. Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I surrender to you this morning. I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. Help me to honor you with my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.